All right, so before I pray, just a brief introduction. I recognize a good few of you, know some of you, and uh, we'll call on some of you a lot. But uh, my name is Brian Gaines. I have the privilege of serving as a pastor of, I changed the title, it's now Leadership and Discipleship at Grace Community Church in Glen Rose for the past 20 years. And uh, we've had a biblical counseling ministry there formally since 2008, I believe. So I had the privilege of directing that and and uh, in all my spare time, I get to do counseling. And so very encouraged to see the number of you here in the exam track. I'm, I'm hoping that means most of you are going to continue the process towards certification and, and be further equipped to be able to serve Christ in the context of the local church because it's much needed. There's definitely lots of people that, that need to know the sufficiency of scriptures and, and of Christ. So glad to see you all here. Well, let me pray for us, and then we have two questions to answer, which means we have to be timely. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your kindness towards us as manifested chiefly at the cross and also by giving us uh, the written word and your spirit to grant us understanding and to enable us to to live in a way that is pleasing to you through your son. And so, Father, we pray in this time as we uh, consider these questions that uh, you would grant us knowledge, wisdom, and the ability to see how these first and foremost uh, should be reflected in our own lives as we seek to reflect the Lord Jesus, but also in how we can benefit others. And so we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we're going to jump into the first two questions in this hour of the counseling exam. And so questions one and two. And so question one, we'll just jump right into it. What issues should be covered in an introductory session with a counselee regardless of the counseling issue? Explain the importance of each. And so I overheard Terry talking to you all about how to write the exams. And so in this, there are several components you need to make sure that you address. You don't get a rewrite, uh, but also you want to be thorough in answering. And so we're going to look at that. But first, since you guys are uh, in track two, I think you're ready for a case scenario, right? Okay, so here's the test. You get to be the counselors. This couple is coming to you. Here it is. The wife, Wilma, says, all right, you'd better have something worth saying, pastor or counselor, because if you don't, I'm leaving him. My bags are packed and in the trunk of my car. Look at him groveling, sniveling, pleading. Who would even want to go on living with a man like that? To which Stanley says, please help us. I don't want Wilma to leave. I love her. It's true that I haven't been much of a husband or much of a man or a leader. But I love her. I'll do anything, anything, Wilma. Please don't leave, begged Stanley as he clutched Wilma's arm. Wilma, in disgust, pulled her arm away, folded her arms across her chest, and sneered. Well, you told me to come here before leaving him when he called you. What have you got to say? It had better be good or else. You're the counselor. What are you going to do? Ah, Good. How many of you just thought this? <laughs> yeah, that's actually the right answer. But run to God. <laughs> and we run to God in prayer. Very good. So first thing we want to do, opening session, introductory session, we want to facilitate prayer. Okay, facilitate prayer. Why? Who is it alone that fully knows the situation? Who is it alone that's truly able to enable change? Yeah. Who is it that, that has all wisdom? It's God. And so in prayer, we're expressing our dependence upon him. We're looking as little C counselors to the big C counselor to guide us into all truth and to enable us to minister to these people according to their very real needs. And so we pray. Unfortunately, I would say prayer is one of the most left-out components of biblical counseling. But it's not biblical very long if we go too long without prayer, right? And so prayer is so, so important. From the very beginning, we want to facilitate prayer. And so prayer, 
uh, as we think through this, prayer, this, I think Bud Burke years ago at a John Piper conference, I heard him say this and it kind of penetrated. Prayer is practical atheism. Or prayerlessness is practical. <laughs> yeah, prayer, prayer is not. Well, if you pray to the wrong God, yes, it's very practical. <laughs> prayerlessness is practical atheism. Think about that. It's, it's true. Because what is prayer? It's expressing our dependence, our need for the one true God. And when we don't pray, we're living as if we don't need that one true God. We're depending upon ourselves. And so in a very real way, it's as if we're living as if there is no God. Okay. Whereas in prayer, we acknowledge we need him in all things, for all things. We don't have the wisdom. We need him to give us the wisdom. Um, he's the only one who can truly affect the change that needs to take place. And so we pray. Prayerfulness also pleases God. All right. Philippians 4, 6. You're in exam track. You may have this memorized. Anybody know Philippians 4, 6? Do not be anxious about, but in, by, and supplication with, present your request to God. Okay? So do not be anxious about anything. As counselors, do we need to make this our prayer? You've got Wilma and Stanley here. Bags are packed. She's leaving. It better be good. <laughs> you might tend to be anxious, right? We need to pray. Right? We go to the Lord and ask him to, to direct that. And what about for the counselee? Why might this verse be important to them? How might this minister to them? Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, look into him. Mm-hmm. And what about Stanley? Is he pretty anxious? Yeah. Should he be anxious or he should he be trusting the Lord in prayer? Yeah. Okay. And so prayer, vitally important. Also, prayerfulness appropriates steadfastness. Okay, four times in that passage there as Paul wraps up Ephesians um, he talks about stand firm in the Lord, in the strength of his might. We appropriate the word of God through prayer. Okay? So important. Also, prayerfulness cultivates humility. Cultivates humility. Uh, Stephen Yule, in his book, A Labor of Love, wrote this. He says, God commands us to love one another. Abstain from what is evil, pursue righteousness, submit to those in authority over us, be patient and humble, love our spouse, endure persecution, and love our neighbor. We can't do any of these things in our own strength. We can't obey in our own power. And so we must pray. Okay, again, we want to model this and we want to establish this with our counselees. Also, prayerfulness provides wisdom. Actually, God provides wisdom as we pray. And so James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of. And he gives occasionally. No. Yeah. Yeah. He gives generously to all who ask. Okay. And so why pray in a first session? And so again, for us as a counselor, we're acknowledging our need for the Lord. We're acknowledging that though we're going to seek to be faithful to the word of God, we acknowledge we need his wisdom and discernment to even identify the issues of the heart, the issues at hand, to understand those at biblical lens, to point them to the scripture. And then also we depend upon him in prayer to actually bring about the fruit of righteousness through our time together with our counselees. Okay? And so second aspect. First, facilitate prayer. Second aspect of an introductory session is obviously gather data. That should be number two. It says number three on your thing there. But gather data. Why do we need to gather data? Consider the case study with Stanley and Wilma. What would make it important to gather data with that situation? What's actually been happening? Yeah. Okay, what's really been happening? How long has this been going on? What are her reasons more detailed for leaving? How has he really been a lousy husband, leader, whatever else? And so we need to gather a lot of data, right? Uh, very, very important. Proverbs 18:13, verse you're familiar with from track one. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. Okay. Now, as a new counselor, I was somewhat guilty of this years ago. 
they would begin to share. I was nervous. I want to help this person, but they've got issues, and I'm not sure if I know how to help them with their issues. And, and they would start to talk about something. Yeah, I know what the Bible says about that. And then you, you start speaking the Bible into their situation. Okay? Though that was something they shared, was that really the most important thing to address right away? Um, did I let them fully speak? Did I really fully understand their situation as much as you can? Um, and so we need to be quick to to listen and, and make sure we don't speak until we understand what's going on. Proverbs 18, 15. Um, an intelligent heart acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. And so what if, in this counseling scenario, you only heard Wilma's side? Stanley sounds like a pretty bad guy, right? Okay. What if you only heard Stanley's side? You've only got half the picture. And so as much as we can, we want to make sure we've got all the facts. We hear from everybody involved as much as possible. And that then leads to Proverbs 18:17 and gathering data. The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. Okay? And sometimes the one who comes first really seems really right. And you've bought in 100%. Goodness, your spouse is a villain or whatever else. And then you hear the other side. It's like, whoa, wait a second. That's completely opposite. And then you think the same thing about the other person. All right? And so you've got to ask questions. You need to get information. In fact, very recently I got um, information from a family member about another family member. And apparently this person, I mean, he was like the saint at his church. And this family member came and just exposed what really a devil he was in the home. Okay? And so if I'm counseling this guy and I'm believing everything he says, and we should believe, trust what they say as much as possible, right? Um, ask good questions, try to understand. But as much as we can, we want to get the other dynamics as appropriate from other people to make sure we're not just having the wool pulled over our eyes. Because sinners can be self-deceived, right? And sinners, like Paul Tripp talks about, have this inner lawyer that's really good at self-justifying and making themselves look really good and making the other person look bad. And oftentimes that's what happens. And so we need to hear as much as possible from everybody involved, get all the facts. Okay? You can lose a counseling opportunity if you don't do that. Right? Especially in the case if there's like abuse. And, and, and maybe it's a husband, maybe it's a wife, experience both. Uh, maybe, you know, the husband's abusing, but he sounds so right, and it seems like all of his wife's issues, and, and you don't really give the wife an opportunity to speak freely without him dominating things. And you can come to the conclusion, okay, this guy is a really righteous guy, and she's got a lot of issues. We need to focus on her. But if she's being abused in the midst of that, and, and you're not able to help her in a real way, are you going to see her back? And he's just going to feel more justified and protected in, in the evil that he's doing. And so, again, gather all the information. And so we engage each individual and let each individual speak for themselves. Okay, now in the case of abuse, sometimes they're, they're afraid to speak, and, and it's going to be an advanced track topic um, that, that you'll get to later on. But in general situations, we want to let each individual speak for themselves. In some situations, you get one person who wants to speak for the other person about what they think about the situation. You want both of them to speak individually, give them the freedom. And sometimes one person will try to control the whole conversation so the other person never gets a chance to speak. Okay, and so again, you've got to kind of be firm, make sure you give everybody an opportunity to speak. And so we want to get detailed, factual data through intensive and extensive probing. Okay, this is deep. How do we gather data? Ask questions. Yeah, good questions. And so we have here... Proverbs 20, verse 5, The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. Okay, We draw it out by asking good questions. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. All right, How can we gather data? And so in formal counseling, if you're in track one, which you were because you're here, if you're in formal counseling, we have this thing called a PDI, Personal Data Inventory. Okay, great way. And so when we do formal counseling, we have people fill out a whole bunch of questions. 
So before we meet with them, we know generally what's going on. And through that, we're able to ask more questions, clarifying questions as they share what they put down on that. And so here, how do we gather data? Um, several things you can see on there. One, emotional symptoms that they're currently experiencing. I found this to be one of the most helpful things in upfront and in a decent amount of detail getting to the heart of the matter. You know, what is what is leading you to be anxious? What is leading you to be fearful? What is leading you to be angry? You find out the circumstances. You find out their thought patterns. You find out how they're responding. You find out who's involved just by asking about their emotions, right? And so asking good questions. Um, what brings you to counseling? That's kind of an obvious one, right? What is it that got you to the point where you realize we need help with this or I need help with this? Um, what have you done about it so far? How do you expect us to help out with this? And so just just good basic questions to start with. Another thing in gathering data, um, medical examination. Uh, if you've got somebody coming in and their chief complaint is depression, um, ask good questions, their body and soul. You want to minister to both. It may be their depression is a result of basically their their slothfulness towards God and their guilt and, and whatever else. It, it could be that. Or there could be something going on medically with them. And I've seen this as well. Um, we've had an individual that just kind of bizarre behavior came on pretty quick, wasn't like this person. And as I was counseling, I, I'm really not finding sin issues, heart issues that correspond to what this guy's experiencing. It just doesn't really make sense. Let's go to the doctor. Go to the doctor again. You need to get more tests. And sure enough, there was something messed up and a uh, simple remedy and really didn't need the counseling. The counseling was still beneficial because he was shown to trust Christ in the midst of this affliction he had, but it wasn't primarily a sin issue. It was a, it was a physical issue. And so we need to be careful um, that we look into the whole person. We gather good data. And I can relate to that somewhat personally. So this last winter, very fatigued. And I was like, man, I must, this, this is like clinical depression. What's going on? I've never experienced this before. And, okay, this isn't right. This isn't normal. There's not a sin issue that's, that I can pinpoint. So I started doing blood tests and, and come back, um, Hashimoto's disease. And so your, your, your immune system attacks your body, mainly your thyroid gland, and fatigue and all sorts of weird symptoms. My socks hurt on my feet. I mean, just weird things. And a little pill a day, I feel a whole lot better, right? And so that was primarily a physical thing. Could I have used some encouragement in how to trust God in the midst of that? Well, sure. And, and so that kind of counseling is good. But we need to be careful that we ask good questions and, and make sure there's not physiological things that could be causing what's going on. All right. So how do we find that out? In part, through extensive probing. We get the facts. Okay, in part of our, our PDI, we ask about their health. And if there's anything there, we ask more extensive questions about the health. We want to know what are all the components that could be um, surrounding what they came in to get help for. And then from those things then, um, we go to uh, intensive probing. We want to get to the heart behind the behavior. We want to know, okay, here's the issues that are clearly there. Now, what are they wanting in the midst of this? How are they sinning? How are they suffering? How are they needing to trust God? How are they not trusting God? And so we want to kind of work through that and, and find out that information. Another very important part as we're working with individuals is as best as we can to discern the state of the soul. Okay? Are we working with a believer? All right? And, and just recently I've been working with somebody. They profess to be a believer, grew up in the church, and... In the, in the course of just asking questions about the gospel, they, they're clueless. And, you know, we're trying to do discipleship, and there just isn't really growth. And so I start probing back into an assumption I shouldn't have made initially, that this person is a believer, and the light bulb just hasn't gone on. In other words, this person doesn't seem to be regenerate. They don't seem to have the Spirit of God to help them understand the things of God to live for God. And so is a person a believer? Um, do they profess it? Can they articulate the gospel? And is there any evidence of the transforming work of the gospel at work with them over the course of time? And so is the person 
a believer. First Corinthians two fourteen, the natural person does not accept the things of God, of the of the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And in this case, this person's a, a pretty smart person, but when it comes to understanding what are elementary things of the Scripture, there's just no no connection. They're just not getting it. Um, they're spiritually discerned. So is the person a believer? Uh, how can we find out if a person's a Christian? So you're, you're counseling somebody, and uh, you obviously want to know if they're a believer or not. How are you going to approach that subject? Mm-hmm. What might you do? Okay, yeah. How'd you come to Christ? Okay. And, and part of what I like to do, sometimes even before that, especially a first session, is just give me, just real quick, your life history. The major events, things that have shaped you up to this point. And I always look for, do they mention God? Do they mention Christ? In what context do they have a valid testimony that they readily share? About half the time, community counseling people, I asked them for the life story, God, Christ, gospel, absent. So then I have to ask more questions, right? Okay, so, so that's, that's all good. Tell me a little bit about your, your, your spirituality. Tell me about your religious upbringing, your understanding of who God is and who Christ is. Um, and then two questions I get to almost every time, it depends on where things go, is this. Uh, so tell me this, if you were to die today, the E questions, do you believe you go to heaven? Almost everybody says yes. Occasionally I get someone, well, you know, I'm really not sure. Can you help me with that? Uh, then you ask a follow-up question. If you were to die and stand before God and he were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you tell him? Then you see what they're really trusting in. Well, basically, I've done more good than bad. Or God is love, and so in the end, we all go to heaven. We all win, right? Or whatever it may be, uh, rather than trusting in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so another question, you know, if you were to, to share the gospel with a friend, uh, pretend I'm your friend, tell me, what it would take for me to come into a saving relationship with Christ, right? Because if they can't articulate the gospel, it's possible they haven't embraced the gospel, okay? And so, again, if they're nervous and, you know, on the spot, some people are going to have a hard time doing that, so use some discernment there. But but are they are they a believer? Very, very important. Um, a question I like to ask a lot in counseling from Pilgrim's Progress um, is this Christian and hopeful, no, faithful at this point, are walking along and talkative comes up to them. And talkative is a man who can talk about all things, including religion. And Christian knows this man, hopeful or faithful is duped by him. And so he says, go back to him and ask him what difference the grace of God has made in your life. That's a great counseling question. What difference has the grace of God made in your life? They can talk about spirituality. They can talk about past things. But have they actually been transformed? Is the power of God at work in them? What difference has the grace of God made in your life? That's pretty revealing. Another thing I want to know up front, um, do they have a church home? And also, if they're coming for formal counseling, is their pastor aware that they're coming to another shepherd to receive instruction from God's word? And so in our counseling agreement form, um, we actually have written in there that if you're coming from another church, then either your pastor is coming with you um, or a leader in the church or we're going to have direct dialogue, okay, to some degree. Because my goal is not to be their pastor. They have a pastor. And if their pastor isn't going to shepherd them and at least follow up with them, then I'm probably going to encourage them. It may be time that you look for another church. Right? If your pastor can't help you with your basic struggles um, and he's not willing to come with you and learn how to help you, then it may be time to look for a church where you're going to learn what it means to, to look unto Christ and to follow him. And so great opportunities. Sometimes those pastors will come and get to teach them how to counsel while you're counseling. And other times they won't. But ultimately... Informal counseling, we're usually meeting with somebody for weeks, months, um, in most scenarios, and then they go back to their church. They've made some progress, but they go back into the, the same environment, and it's so much more beneficial if they go back with somebody who will help them keep walking forward, right? Because we're all prone to stray, to, to fall back, um, and so somebody that can come alongside them. 
And so that's part of of that. Uh, and so as we gather our data then and we gather all these things, the next thing in first session is we want to, um, I guess talk about spiritual maturity, um, we want to determine the agenda from the data. Okay? So in the first session, we're gathering data. We're asking lots of questions. We're seeking to discern and understand what's going on. And we may even say, okay, if I heard you correctly, you said this. These are the areas where you would like help. And then from there, we determine how do we actually help them. Uh, what needs to be addressed today and what can wait. Okay? Um, what are the key considerations? What needs to be addressed today and what can wait? So, yeah, and here's, here's two important questions. Not sure if these are on your handout this way. But where does the person need help most? Okay, that's important. And so usually in a first session, they're going to come in, and there may be ten different issues. They vomit on your desk, right? I mean, there's ten very real issues they, they do need help with. You have to prayerfully discern where do they need help first? Not what am I most comfortable with jumping on. I've got this one. But where do they actually need the help first? What is most significant to address first? In fact, if you don't address that, they may not be back. Okay? So that's kind of one thing you're looking for. All these things are shared. There's a whole lot of information when you're asking a lot of questions. Okay, what's of first importance? And then second um, is... Uh, most important, and second, where do we help the person first? So those are the two questions I'm usually thinking through as they're talking. Okay, these are the issues. What's most important? Where do we start today? All right? Um, yep, let's jump into number four then. And so after we gather information and discern how to best help, um, then we give instruction. Now, what are we practicing? Biblical counseling, Right? Does it make sense then we would give instruction? Okay, we're, we're not of the camp that they sit on the couch and they tell you how they feel about everything and they feel a little bit better and they walk away and and we've done our job, right? They've come, they've shared with you the struggles and now it's our job to help them understand those struggles in light of the scriptures, in light of the gospel and that's going to have to involve a measure of instruction okay and so we want to give restruction instruction we want to give restruction instruction that relates god's word according to the persons and the problems at hand okay again the persons spiritual condition believer unbeliever somebody who's spiritually a, a new a new convert somebody who's more mature we need to also consider very practical things their learning ability um, and, and this is important that we fill this out because you're going to be surprised at how many people you may have come who who read like a third grade level. And if you give them John Owen's Mortification of Sin, don't expect much progress, right? And so literally, what is their learning ability? What is their intellectual capability? Um, that's going to vary with each person. Uh, emotionally, um, if they're an emotional wreck, and and you hand them a whole bunch of things, and they're having a hard time even getting one thought in front of the other, especially if they're struggling with depression, getting anything done, and you give them ten things to do before next week, uh, you're, you're probably setting them up for failure. And so where are they at? What are they capable of handling based on their, their reading ability, their education? And that's one thing we have on our PDI form. We ask, what is your level of education? High school, you know, undergrad, graduate, you know, where do you work? Sometimes those things are revealing. If you're dealing with a lawyer or a doctor, you can you can give a mortification of sin. Um, if you're dealing with somebody who can barely read, you may be giving them, you know, a, a children's book with with one point you want to get across, right? Um, and so, do that next. Establish the authority and sufficiency of the Scripture. Proverbs. Um, oh, before we get there. Yeah, establish the authority and sufficiency of the scripture. We want to communicate God's word according to the problems. We don't just want to get the problems out, 
talk about the problems. We want them to see in the scriptures how God's word is the solution for their problems. What is God's will for you in light of your particular struggle? And another important thing, um, we don't want to um, lecture them. We want to ask questions, right? I think it's Randy Patton who said, accusations harden the heart, questions prick the conscience. And so when we think about giving instruction, don't think of what your pastor does on Sunday morning for 45 minutes. Okay, if you open up your Bible and start preaching to them for 45 minutes, probably that's not really what they're going to most need. Rather, you're seeking to understand, you're asking questions, you're helping them see things for themselves in God's word. And so you're asking them good questions as you explain the scriptures. Uh, but we want to be careful to ask questions and not fall into lecture mode. So why why give instruction? Why help them understand the scriptures? Proverbs 27.9, oil and perfume make the heart glad. And the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. A good friend is going to give good counsel. We're going to love others with the word. We're going to speak the truth and speak the truth in love. Oh, accusations harden the heart. Questions prick the conscience. Yeah. And if you're a parent, that's a good one to remember. <laughs> uh, Randy Patton, I believe. Yeah, previous director of ACBC. All right. So as we come alongside others and their struggles, um, what is the one thing we want to give every person in the first session, actually every session, but especially in the first session? Hope. Very good. Very good. Y'all listen well on track one. We want to give hope. Hope. Um, some important things um, in the first session to give hope. Let, let's start with the definition of hope. So hope is a confident expectation based on the promises of God. Okay. Biblical hope is not wishful thinking. Right. If God has said, will God follow through? Right. God is faithful to all of his promises. And so the hope we have is not the way we usually use hope. And I still catch myself all the time using hope in a non-biblical way. Um, we want to use hope in a, in a biblical way. And we'll talk about what that looks like in a little bit. But we want to show Christ as a remedy. Next one. We want to show Christ as a remedy for sin and the reward of suffering. OK. That is the hope we want to point them towards. Keith Palmer uh Maybe tomorrow, track one is going to talk about the gospel and counseling. And something he said that is so good is this, that a skilled counselor can go from any issue to the gospel, to Christ, right? Can take every issue to the cross, to the gospel. And so that's our goal, is we want to help them see in their struggle who Christ is, their need for him, what it looks like to depend upon him, and how to imitate and become like him. Okay, so that's what we're aiming for uh, in our instruction and in giving hope. All right, so what are some situations requiring hope? There's a whole bunch of them. This is just a list to, to kind of get you thinking here. This came out of uh, Eric and Hines' book, Curing the Heart, which if you're doing the exams, actually if you're not even doing the exams, I would encourage you to get this book. It's like the cleft note version for biblical counseling. Uh, it is so good. Um, and, and a lot of really practical, succinct things that will be very helpful for you in helping others. And so curing, curing the heart. Yeah, I think it's footnoted on your page there. Yeah, Curing the Heart by Eric and Hines. Very, very good. So here are some specific counseling problems they gave. Um, number one, people with longstanding problems need hope. Longstanding problems. And I think the example there, John 9, I believe, is that the blind man uh, who was born blind and obviously, you know, Christ gave him hope by opening his eyes. But above that, he opened his eyes to see who Jesus was. And again, that's the hope we want to get people towards is to have them be able to see Jesus for, for who he is and to fix their eyes upon him. People with particularly difficult problems need hope, right? Chronic problems. People who have been exploited, misled or abused need hope. People who are plagued by fears, whether real or imaginary, need hope. 
People who have experienced repeated failures and disappointments need hope. People who are nearing the end of their lives need hope. People who struggle with bouts of depression need hope. Psalm 42.5 says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation. And obviously, suicidal people need hope. Uh, In fact, if you're dealing with somebody who's suicidal, um, you definitely want to make sure they walk away with hope and and a lot of other wisdom issues. And In fact, if you're dealing with somebody like that, one, talk to the appropriate people, but also on our website to get pre-prepared for that because you probably will encounter that at some point. Uh, There's some great sessions on dealing with those who are suicidal. And so how do you give them hope amidst of the despair, the thought patterns that they're they're having. Uh, also, uh, people who have suffered great loss need hope. People who are without Christ obviously need hope. They need a living hope. Uh, they need hope and purpose in, in life. And so the importance of hope in the first session, um, this is from Kevin Carson, says, hope produces joy that remains even through the most uh, difficult trials. Okay, joy that remains through even the most difficult trials. It is hard to weather difficult relationships, chronic illness, whatever it may be, apart from a firm hope in God and his purposes. Okay, they need hope. Hope produces uh, perseverance. And I, I would encourage you to go through and read all these references later. We just don't have time now. Hope produces confidence. Hope produces effective ministry. Hope produces greater faith and love, consistency, increased energy and enthusiasm, stability, a more intimate relationship with God, and personal purity. Okay, those are just some of the reasons why giving hope is so important. Uh, Wayne Mack wrote this on hope. Uh, He says, The Christian's cup in this world is never half empty. It is always half full. Christians are never in a no-win situation but always in a no-lose situation because even though we may not understand God's reason for whatever happens to us, we can know that he is accomplishing a grand divine plan that will ultimately glorify him and benefit us. Yes, hope is a powerful change agent. With hope, people are inspired to do positive things, but without it, they will flounder and fail. Mark it down and note it well. When people are not changing nor are encouraged, perhaps they do not have hope, a solidly based hope. And if you've worked with people, you've probably seen this to be very true. They're floundering, they're not making progress, they've lost hope, or they're not hoping in the right things. They don't have a biblical hope. So we must never underestimate the importance of hope in in, in living a Christ-centered, God-honoring life. For while we recognize that God is the ultimate hope-giver, who provides hope through his Son, by his Spirit, and in his Word. At the same time, we realize that he also uses men and women to inspire and encourage the hopeless to find their hope in him. Therefore, as people who have hope, share it. Seek to take what hope you have from the Scripture, life in the body of Christ, and good God-honoring worship. Then share it wildly. Okay? We need to be giving biblical hope people don't come to counseling because all is well right i've yet to have that happen they come to counseling because they're struggling and they feel like they're in a hopeless situation and so we need to give them biblical hope concerning hope found in the gospel uh, milton vincent wrote this says the gospel is not just one piece of good news that fits into my life somewhere among all the bad I realize instead that the gospel must genuinely uh, makes genuinely good news out of every other aspect of my life, including my severest trials. The good news about my trials is that God is forcing them to bow down to his gospel purposes and to do good unto me by improving my character and making me more conformed to the image of Christ. And so we need to point others to the living hope and the hope that's found in, in the scriptures. All right. Another component, first session, <clears throat> is gain commitment. Okay, and certainly we're gaining 
the desire for them to be committed as we gather data, as we show them that we care, <clears throat> uh, but to gain commitment, um, commitment to Christ and Christ-likeness. Okay? And so they've been saved by grace through faith. There, there's a commitment Christ has made to them, a commitment they're called then to make to Christ, and then to go and do those good works that he has prepared uh, beforehand for them to be imitators of God. A commitment to prayer, Bible study, and application. Uh, how important is that in biblical counseling? <clears throat> Critical. Okay, and that's part of the reason we give homework. If they're not in the Word, if the Word is not in them, should we expect them to living, uh, be living under Christ? Right? If they're depending on themselves and their wisdom and their methodologies and their tactics and techniques, are they going to be pleasing to Christ? No, they're depending upon themselves. And so we want to um, see a commitment to prayer, to Bible study, to application of that. You may need to very practically help them. In fact, some of the things we do in our counseling ministry, um, we have little boxes and we get them memorizing Scripture and we give them a methodology to memorize Scripture. Okay, And usually we'll do a Scripture memory for every session depending upon whatever was taught to help them remember and to prayerfully put that into application. Some really don't even know how to pray biblically. I mean, the prayers are, Lord, give me today this. Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, right? It's all about them. And it's it's not about God's glory. It's not about the good of others. And so helping them learn how to pray the scriptures. And so we'll help them maybe develop a prayer journal. Just get them started in a habit of, of biblical prayer. Um, so gain commitment. Acts 6 or uh, Galatians 6, 7 says, Do not be deceived. Uh, God is not mocked for whatever one sows. That will he also reap. Okay, and so if you put this into a, to a gardening analogy, if we if we sow a okra seed, do we expect a peach tree to come up? <laughs> Some might. <laughs> okay, no, we expect what was planted to to come up, right? And and likewise in our lives, if if we expect change. But if we're not looking to God and his word to guide and direct that change, are we really going to have the change that's pleasing to the Lord? And so if we're investing into the word, putting the word in us, getting to know the word, seeking to live by the word, and then there's going to be the fruit of the spirit that manifests in our lives as we're seeking to please him. But if not, we continue to live into our flesh by our feelings, then we're not going to be growing in Christ's likeness. And so we want to help them. Uh, be in the word, let the word be in them. Um, very practical. Let's go back to the case study with with Wilma and Stanley as we think about gaining commitment. And so in that situation, big picture, right? They're focused on little details and petty things and, and this and that. Big picture, I want to bring them back to why they exist, right? Why is it that you exist? Why is it that marriage exists? God. God created God brought together, this is for God's glory, ultimately marriage is a platform to proclaim the gospel, right? Christ, the bridegroom to the church. Um, And so your marriage is to be a reflection of that. And then big picture, you basically have three options, right? And, And I'll usually draw this up on the board for them. You know, one... The big picture of man is to glorify God. How do we glorify God? By seeking to be reconciled to each other. You know, one option that the world would say is good is quit. I'm out of this. I don't like it. It's too hard. Divorce. Okay? Option. And they're considering that probably at this point. Obviously, Wilma is. Second option, just continue as is. Is that an option for you? No, no, no. That's why we're here. We know. We're done. Right? Third option is to learn to glorify God. Okay? And guess what? Those things that you have shared with me, the struggles that you're having, God's word addresses each and every one of those. And if you will commit to look to him, to honor him, to let me come alongside you to do that, the Lord promises his blessing upon you. Okay, but it's going to be a commitment. It may get harder even before it gets easier. Right. There's a lot of stuff that we've not really dealt with. Well, we're going to deal with it. Well, someone's going to be painful. Right. But God's word gives us the roadmap to that. And so we lay out a a biblical hope and we ask them for a commitment. Will you give me three months to help you understand what this looks like? And each week, will you go home and do what I give you prayerfully, humbling yourself before God and before whoever else and seeking to apply this to the glory of God? Okay, so we want to gain a a commitment there. And we do that in part through um, the homework. So transition into that. Jay Adams said this laying out an agenda 
for the next session in this way, uh, showing them their struggles and how God's Word deal with it, deals with it, encourages the counselee, one, to return, right? They need to see there's actually hope we can get real help, or they're probably not going to come back. That encourages them to return, encourages the counselee to see that there is much more to be done, okay? It took us 10 years to get to this spot. It's going to take us a while to get out of it, and there's a lot of scriptures that we need to consider in that encourages the counselee to see um, that the counselor one has a plan and a program okay you've heard it said people don't care what you know unless they know that you care right they need to know both from us that we care for them and also that we know how to help them through god's word so we have a plan and a program um, and cares enough to explain what he is doing when and why okay and then after we gain a commitment the last one here is assign homework. Assign homework. And Lee, what time is this one done? 8.30. Okay, very good. Okay. So assign homework. Um, what's the importance of homework? Okay, yep. Good, what else? Keeps them busy during the week. Busy, in a good way, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Focused on the right things, good. Making the best use of time. Mm-hmm. Really yeah, yeah, and you kind of see who's actually really serious and following the Lord and, and who's not. Good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What does the Holy Spirit use to make us more like Christ? It's His Word. And so you may give Him an hour once a week, whatever it may be. They need a lot more than that. They need the word every day because they're thinking thoughts every day. You want them thinking God's thoughts every day and not the, the destructive thoughts or whatever thoughts they've been dwelling on. You want them to dwell in the word of Christ. Okay, good. So some very practical things here. Establishes a pattern of action and change. Okay, the responsibility, the dependence upon God is on the counselee for change, right? They are to look to him to be able to put off the old, to renew their minds and to put on the new, okay? You can't change your counselee, right? They have to look to the God who can change them. It's their responsibility, and they do that through the Word to know what that looks like. Next, it establishes expectations uh, of the counselor and for the counselee. And so James 1, 22, um, but be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves, Okay? So we we help them understand what truth looks like, how to live it out, but they have to actually go and do that. And so there's an expectation of what they ought to do this week. Uh, next, uh, this is from Jay Adams. He says, from the inception of counseling, therefore, the counselee should be made to understand two facts. First, that each counseling session leads towards biblical action and its natural outcome. Secondly, that he is going to be challenged to perform as God's word requires. Okay? In other words, we give them homework. It's not like some of our elementary or perhaps even high school homework that was just busy work, right? <laughs> this is this is real. This is about life and godliness. And so when we're giving them God's word, God expects a response to honor him with the word that he's given to us. And so we want to encourage them, hold them accountable uh, to those things that would benefit their souls. Uh, next, homework establishes dependence upon God's word rather than on the counselor. Okay, while we're happy to help people, um, and to some degree lifelong, right, that's part of discipleship, um, we can't meet with everybody for an hour or two every week all the time indefinitely, right? They need, we. part of our role is to help them to be more dependent upon God, upon the spirit of God, upon others in the church of God, and not to look at us as some kind of savior, right? There's only one savior and we're not it. Our job is to point them to the savior and his word and how to live for him in the context of other relationships in the church. Also establishes growth patterns um, between sessions, between meetings, okay? Growth and change will take place a whole lot quicker if they're working on it every week. So my students or my, my kids are music students. And uh, if all they got was every other week a music lesson, and that's the only time they played, do you think they're going to become very good musicians very fast? They're probably going to forget most of what they heard in their lesson. 
But if they take what they're instructed to do, watch fresh and go home and start practicing, and they practice every day for an hour, then in two weeks they're probably going to have mastered a new song, okay, or a new technique or theory or whatever it is, right? Same thing with God's Word. We can't just hear it and walk away. We need to hear it. We need to meditate upon it occasionally or day and night. Yeah, day and night. And so we need to help them understand the importance of God's Word in their daily lives to grow and to change. And also, it establishes establishes a good starting point for the next meeting. And so this is this is really good. I think this may have been Randy Patton as well. Well-written homework provides a good agenda for the next meeting. Okay? And so before we meet with them for the first time, if we can, we have the PDI and we look over, you know, what probably the main issues are going to be. We do our best to think through, okay, what do they need to understand about God, themselves, their situation, how does Scripture address this? And we, we start to think through, okay, here's a psalm we might have them interact with and, and begin praying. Uh, here's a verse we might have them memorize. Um, here's a very practical way they might fulfill the one another in the context of their home. Uh, very concrete things, uh, but we want them in the Word every day in, in various ways. And when we give them a homework assignment that does that, usually the first 15 to 30 minutes of your next meeting is going over how they interacted. And we can talk about how did you see the grace of God at work in your life this past week as you're in his word and prayerfully seeking to live that out. Okay? And so we do that, and, and good homework um, really prepares well for the next meeting. Okay, so those are just some of the, the key things from a first session um, when you gather together and, and some of those important things. Any, any questions on those? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, and as far as um yeah, so we we gather through the PDI as much as you can ahead of time. You yeah, you do pray through, you know, here's the issues they're struggling with. They're common temptations. Scripture addresses these. And so begin to think through how you might help them. But my homework usually changes in the course of the counseling session. Um, I come prepared, but then they may throw me a curveball or something else may be actually way more important to talk about this time than what I had prepared. And so part of that is just praying, <laughs> right? And then it's also fine when you're done at the end of your session. Say, you know what? You know, I, I want to give you what is going to be most beneficial to you. Can I email you something to work on this week by tomorrow morning? And, in fact, I do that more often now than not. Usually I've got to go someplace else after the meeting. But um, I find that to be helpful because it gives me more time to think through what they've said, to go back and read my notes. I always have an observer. I get their feedback, um, things I may have missed that they caught. And then I can prayerfully think through, okay, um, here's what's most important. Here's what we need to deal with first and then give them very concrete things to do this week. Yeah. Good question. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, that's actually another exam question. At what point do you cancel a or terminate a counseling? So, yeah. So short answer to that. Um, and this will be answered more thoroughly down the road. Um, I give them grace. I always give a measure of grace. But I set a high expectation up front what I expect. Um, and then if they're just not doing it, I ask very specific questions. What hindered you from doing your homework? Do you understand the importance of it? Why do we do this? Um, and also what hindered you? And usually, it, I mean, it's complex sometimes, but it all comes back down to a matter of worship and priority. And so I try to help them understand that. What is it that was more important than being who God has called you to be and doing what God has called you to do? What is more important than that? And so a lot of times it's it's just a it's a heart issue, it's a word, uh, worship issue, worship disorder. Yeah, sometimes that's it. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's where you just gotta ask questions. More data gathering, right? We're always gathering more data. If they're not doing their homework, what's going on? If they're not doing their homework, uh, it could be they just don't they can't read. I mean, I've actually had that before. They didn't do it and, and come to find out they can't even read. So it's always good to ask more. Yes. So kind of like, you know, like the questions you asked, because I was thinking the same thing. Um, the example you give about Wilma, 
Ага. Yeah. So you address each according to the need. Um, and so ultimately, what I want to know in this situation, what are both of them wanting and what does God want? Right. Well, what are you wanting? What does God want? And I'm going to call her to want what God wants ultimately. And the homework would point towards that. Yeah. Okay. That's the short answer. I just realized we have another question and we have five minutes. <laughs> so it's actually a much shorter one. So we got we got to keep moving. Um, so next question. So there's some key resources there that will be very helpful for further study. Um, describe at least six biblical strategies to develop a caring relationship with your counselees. Six, how many strategies? Okay, so how many should you have? Six, okay. Clarify or clearly identify each strategy and ground its specific use in passages of Scripture, uh, specific passages of Scripture, explaining its practical utility in building a relationship. Okay, so first thing we're going to do here is start out by defining involvement. What is involvement? How do you build a caring relationship? And so involvement, and this is from uh, uh, Faith Biblical Counseling. Accepting the counselee is important to God and coming alongside in concern and love to help them see their problems, find biblical solutions, and bring about lasting changes for God's glory and the counselee's benefit. Okay, and so... That's on your handout there, I believe, that definition. Uh, and so how do we build involvement? First, pray with and for your counselee. Okay, I left a couple of references there. Um, I don't have time to read all these quotes, but that is so important. And build involvement. Show them you care for them enough to pray for them. And this is a great quote. You might write this one down. Um, if you love someone, you will pray for them. Right? If you love someone, you will pray for them. And the more you pray for them, the more you will love them. Okay? If you really want to build involvement, build a real caring relationship, it involves prayer. If you love someone, you'll pray for them. And the more you pray for them, the more you will love them. The more you take them before the Father, think of them biblically, the more you're going to love them with the Father's love. Right? And so the two go hand in hand. So again, prayer, starting point. Second, building involvement, seek to understand them. Okay? Understand their situation. First um, Thessalonians 5.14, one of the verses that's on there. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Okay, three categories here. Idle means somebody who's lazy or somebody who's defiant, unruly. What do we do with them? We admonish. Okay, where, do these, where does this counselee fit? Encourage the faint-hearted. Okay, faint-hearted is somebody who's discouraged or maybe small-souled, literally is what that means. Um, help the weak. Those who have little roots, who are tossed around easily. And so we identify, which is this person? Are they unruly? Are they faint-hearted? Are they weak? And therefore, what's my primary focus in coming alongside them? Is it to admonish? Is it to help? Is it to encourage? And this catch-all phrase, be patient with them all. Right? How patient is God with us? Okay. We need to exercise that towards other strugglers as well. All right, next we need to show respect for them. Oh, seek to understand them. That was actually number two. Forgot to click that. Seek to understand them. Number three, show respect for them. And in doing so, very practical things. Use proper verbal communication. <laughs> um, I could give all sorts of illustrations of improper verbal communication. But basically think, speak the truth and do it in what manner? In love, we can speak truth and do it harshly, condescendingly, sarcastically, right? These people are coming for help. You got the opportunity to come alongside them. Let your words be seasoned with salt, be gracious. And so use proper verbal communication. Also, use proper nonverbal communication. And so, you know, they're pouring out their life story. And if you got your arms crossed, you're kind of looking out the window daydreaming. I mean, that's, that's not loving, right? And so engage with them nonverbally. Um, don't roll your eyes at them, you know, those types of things. Use, uh, yeah, so next, take the counselee seriously. And this is important. Maybe it's somebody you know and you think they're a great guy and you have a husband come in and he says, I, I'm a terrible husband. 
And he said, oh, no, I've seen you in this way and this way, and you just go on railing about how, how good he is. And he says, you understand, I'm in an adulterous relationship. Oh, so if he says I'm not a great person, you want to ask questions to understand why he is saying that. So take him seriously. Welcome input. Welcome input. Uh, and this is something I'll do through the counseling sessions. You know, so far we've covered this. Have I missed anything? I've got kind of the agenda where I think we need to go. Is there anything that you think we really ought to focus on that we haven't focused on yet? Okay. And so welcome input. Be sensitive to their needs uh, in very practical ways. If you're doing formal counseling, people are coming. They're anxious. They're angry, whatever else. A lot of times they cry, right? If you don't have Kleenexes there, I mean, it's kind of embarrassing to use your sleeve or wipe it all over your face or whatever. So Kleenexes, bottled waters, you know, something that's kind of warm and hospitable um, towards that. Another thing, maintain biblical confidentiality. Okay? Again, I say biblical confidentiality. Are there times we need to bring the situation before other people? Yeah, if they're a member of a church someplace and they are not repenting of their sin after they have been confronted, at some point that goes before the church. What if there's a child being abused? Yeah, yeah, you need you you are obligated to report that. Okay, so there are times where you have to put that forth. And formal counseling, hopefully up front you have a counseling agreement form and you've already laid that out. Okay, that just protects you as far as liability. All right, uh, next, point them to Christ in all things. Point them to Christ in all things. Hebrews two seventeen and eighteen. Therefore. He had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Okay, again, point them to Christ in all things, in all struggles they need to look to Christ. Next, minister to their physical needs. Um. You know, if they come in and, and, you know, it's obvious what their, their spiritual need is and you help them with instruction through the Word of God and, and all that, but they don't have gas money to get home, right? Or they don't have anything in the fridge and their paycheck doesn't come in for three days, okay? could be a very tangible need there. Counseling, again, is need to be holistic. We care for their soul first and foremost, but we do need to care for them. And there may be other bigger needs. And as a counselor, it's not necessarily your responsibility to meet all those needs. I can't do that. But I do have another counselor who's also very good at financial stuff. And anything that involves a budget or financial assistance or accountability, he gets them. And he's happy to take them, right? And so get a team around you to help out with some of those practical, more deacon-oriented um, ministry needs. Okay, and next, uh, involve others as appropriate. Involve others as appropriate. Okay, and so encourage any necessary and helpful involvement of others. And so what might be some examples where we want to involve others? Their yeah, their pastor. Yeah, if you're counseling somebody from another church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, accountability. Yeah, especially somebody dealing with a life-dominating sin, whether it's pornography or drinking or drugs or whatever it is. They need a team of accountability. Okay. Training purposes? Okay, yeah. Yep. And so if you're counseling and you want somebody else to learn how to better do that with God's Word, pull them in, observers, good. Okay, yeah. Yeah, you want them to have the ability for the one anothering to take place on a regular basis, right? So home groups, small group Bible studies. Okay, good. Obviously, somebody's suicidal, you need to involve others, right? Um the police need to be involved. Child abuse need to involve others. I usually, from the first or second session, want to have an observer. But two, I'm already thinking through who else I can involve in this as soon as possible. Because my goal is to help them through their crisis, whatever their main issue issues are. But then somebody else is starting to get involved as appropriate with their permission, not breaking confidentiality, asking, it would it be okay if, if we asked so-and-so to come alongside and, and I'm going to start this book study with you, but for you to dialogue with that person through this book as we work through counseling, okay? Involve other people as you can. And so those are just some of the ways. And again, involvement um, 
in the church so important. Uh, Wayne Mack said this in his book, Life in the Father's House. Um, says, attempting to grow in Christ outside the church is like trying to learn to swim without ever getting into the pool. That is so good. God gives us one another to help us grow up into every way into Christ who is the head. And so we want to involve others in the counseling process. All right, let me pray for us. And then I'll stick around for a little bit if y'all have any questions. Father, we, uh, we are so grateful for your involvement with us that you did not leave us dead in our trespasses and sins, but rather while we were yet sinners, you sent your son who died for us, who had the ultimate involvement, the ultimate sacrifice, paid the ultimate price that we might know your love. And so, Father, as we seek to minister others, uh, we pray that you would help us to imitate our Savior, that we would be sacrificial, that we would uh, be loving, that we would not only hear, but, Father, we would uh, minister to others. And, Father, we, we acknowledge that we are insufficient for these things, that we are not adequate. But we thank you that you've given us your word, that you've given us your spirit. And, Father, help us to depend upon you, even as we help others to do the same. And so, Father, I thank you for each of these. I pray that as they work through these exams, uh, Father, that the application will be first and foremost in their own lives, in the context of their own churches, but that you would use us to minister to people even to the nations. And so we ask that your name would be exalted in these ways. In the name of Christ we pray, amen.